morning and welcome to the A stage. My name is Paula Dunn and I'm joined today by Brendan Telfer. How are you, Brendan? Well, thank you very much indeed for asking, Paula. Yes, I'm very fine. Thank you. This uh, Thursday morning and great to be back in the stead of the mighty Brody Guzet, who's um, still mm. having a little bit of R&R and a bit of a sabbatical. So while he's away... I get to play in the age stage. He's probably at a spa somewhere. He you know? probably is, or that yeah. is practicing his handstands in Lake Como yes. or Napoli or yes, somewhere. That's I don't right. know what the hell or he's doing. French but anyway, France or something. Anyway, so today um, we have some really interesting guests. We're going to be talking to Bob Semple, and Bob is one of the rats of Tobruk. Can you believe Incredible. that? Incredible. So he would be getting on a little bit now, but yeah. what an extraordinary part of history he was responsible for. So looking forward to speaking to Bob yes. Sample very much indeed, the rats of Tobruk, of course. Exactly. And Eliza is going to join us, and she's from the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association. So that'll be interesting with her perspective after the budget. Some deep and meaningful mm. conversations about the budget mm-hmm. and how the uh, how the government is tracking and um, what uh, what's in it for us. So that will be very interesting indeed and looking forward to talking to her very much indeed. Yes, but before we do that, we've got to introduce our friends. Indeed we do, and uh, let's introduce them. And uh, directly sitting in front of me is Peter Nilsson, who's Chief Operations Officer at the Village Glen. Peter, welcome back. And good morning, and just with Brody, I'm thinking I might send him a brochure, do you think? Send him a <laughs> yes, oh. it does. He needs a bit of TLC. Or, or and that, the dulcet tones there are Tom Camp, who's yeah, joining us. TLC, for, that's what he needs. Uh, yeah, Encore Living, of course, for that regional alternative. And maybe it's the regional alternative that he needs, Tom. Yeah, the fresh air. The fresh mm. air. And uh, we might be more cost efficient than um, Peter Nielsen's uh, offering. Sitting down the Melacuda. I think he's, we're not going to Malacuta at all. I think he'd rather a catamaran coming out from somewhere. Well, though I, I would rather him right next door to us in Peter's new facility, yeah. so yeah. he's he's within walking yeah. distance of the studios. Of all right? Yes. That way we can tap him, and he's just he's just a he's just a wander away. You know? uh, we could have mobile radio. We next could. Door at Peter's new oh facility. yeah, we're going How mobile. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Well, last week, of course, we had a super discussion with uh, both Peter and Stuart about the budget, and we got some more implications about that a little bit later on in the program as well. Mm-hmm. But um, I think we've got some questions. Yes, again we this have. Week. So before that, we've got some questions to throw at the guys and um, from listeners. So the first one is from Graham Satchwell from Rosebud, and his question is: What can I do if I can't afford to place my wife into a nursing home, but I can't afford to look after her myself? What, where do I go first? Yeah, that's a really hard question to answer is, without more information. Yeah, yeah. Um, we've covered before on in the aged care space how the government is has a safety net, and in mm-hmm. our region, the Peninsula region, that safety net represents eighteen point. Seven percent of beds must be set aside for people in that circumstance. So, mm. I'm not too sure when he says can't afford for his wife to go into care. Mm. Um, I'm just wondering um, how far down the path they've investigated. Because what I do find is the rumour will mill is alive and well about misinformation. Yes, that's in, right. In, yeah. in, in our space, yep. retirement living, and in aged care. Mm. So he really needs to talk to someone um, yeah. and get the right story. Yes. Totally agree. Well, yeah. Village Glen, for example, they have a terrific service where you know people are guided through the MAC system or the My Age Care system, mm-hmm. yeah. and then out of that um, falls out the the core uh, information. 
that enables a decision to be made. For mm-hmm. example, you know, there's often a lump sum required, maybe mm. uh, in that environment, uh, if it's in yeah. an aged care facility, or if there's no lump sum available, then there are options r- around DAPs and things like that. So, as I said, if, if you encourage uh, the gentleman to maybe contact Village Glen because they've got mm. a great system that's not just involved with their village, but it's a wider pastoral thing. Pete, yeah. what's it called? Sorry. What's what, the service that you guys provide? Flexicare. Flexicare. So yeah. Flexicare is cool like that. It helps yeah. people navigate through my aged care, which then spits out the key information to determine how you can deal with it. And and mm. I, I can assure uh, the gentleman that there, there's a solution to this. Yeah. So we had an example just last week at uh, Tea Tree where we had an emergency um, situation where a person in a similar circumstance hadn't been assessed for residential care um, so we got onto that. They came in. We took them um, with no assessment and then arranged through My Age Care for an emergency assessment, mm-hmm. which is happening tomorrow. So they've been with us since last Friday. Um, clearly, until the assessment's done, we're not charging them. And the My Age Care, if indeed the assessment is that that person can stay and qualifies, they will backdate respite to when they came in, and as mm-hmm. we've talked before, you get 63 days a year respite in residential care, which the fees for that are 85% of the single pension. Now, um, our listener, if they are a married couple, mm-hmm. what they then do in that circumstance is they go to Centrelink and get a, a medically separated single pension each, and then his wife can go in on respite until she's assessed for permanent residential care, and then the only issue is to find a bed in a facility um, that is a concessional bed. Mm-hmm. And as I say, at Tea Tree, we have 45 of those. Oh, see, most people don't yeah. know that, yeah. you know. Mm. That's so, why we're the experts. Yeah, so. that's yeah. really important, you know. So I strongly recommend that maybe um, our listener, Graham, Graham yes. gives a, uh, a call to FlexiCare. That's mm. a good place to start. FlexiCare. Yes. To, to the manager at FlexiCare to mm-hmm. tell you our story. We will, um, without fear or favour, tell you the steps you need to go through. Mm. Um, and then, as I understand it, there is a few vacancies around in a re- in a number of um, aged care facilities at the moment. Yeah. So I'm I'm thinking if it's an emergency situation, there would be operators, and we'd be one, we'd be one of them. Yes. Who, who could well assist? Yeah. yeah. Oh, good. Mm. Oh, that's good because I think a lot of people get really put off by the my aged care. Well, they do, and they and they you know, read. Try and they read in the publications that you got to have five hundred thousand or whatever, yeah, three hundred thousand rads, yeah. and people say, well, "Where don't they get that money?" That's not necessarily no. the case. Mm. I mean, there's a whole range of options that people have got, and there's a lot of choices that people have. Yeah, and it's it's really geared around to your financial circumstances, mm. and we're all different. So you really need to talk to the operators, mm-hmm. um, and and Centrelink and the government mm. through My Age Care. And you'll get the answers um, mm. eventually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a good place to start clearly is something like FlexiCare or Ring Tea Tree or Ring you know, Village Baxter or, mm. or other operators mm. and, and tell them your Encore story. Encore Home Support is another wonderful yeah. regional Encore alternative. Encore Home Support, okay. Yeah. But, but, yep. but look, the whole idea is to actually uh, assist people and, and, and in, uh, encourage them to understand, I suppose, the, um, the framework of how these things operate. 
and then direct them down to uh, organisations or um, uh, entities that can actually help navigate through my aged mm. care because it, at the end of the day, it, it's hard for us and we're professionals. Yes. So um, it's quite daunting, particularly for older people. Yeah, that's right. And where you don't know where to start. So, look, the, the key thing is is that most of the operators out of there are very trustworthy, aren't they, Pete? Um, Absolutely. So you can, the, the reputable operators, are, you know, they're there for you, they're there to care for you. And if you have to go and talk to one or two just to get one that is you're comfortable with mm-hmm. and then allow them, uh, you know, to lead you down and guide you through the path. You mm-hmm. don't have to make any decisions until you've got the information. The other big thing is, is, is family is a great support in that situation. Uh, so once you're moving to make inquiries to uh, such organisations, Pete's talking about, FlexiCare, uh, then take a family member with you so mm-hmm. that there is some uh, uh, independent uh, accountability mm. and you'll get a good feel for we we call it the vibe of the tribe once you actually know what vibe the value of the, the vibe of the tribe if you get the value system is equitable and you guys can trust that then uh, that's a good place to start and the information is is terrific to help you okay. make a good call mm-hmm. you're listening to the age stage on rwp fm and it's great to have your company this thursday morning we're going to take a short break because we've got a couple more questions that have come into us here at the age stage and uh, we'll be talking to both tom and peter right after this stick around okay so back to our questions this question comes from gwen collison and gwen's from mount martha and she says her husband has been assessed at, at Category four, but I can't get the care that is needed. What should she do? That's a story we're hearing a lot of. Mm. If you remember last week's program, post the budget, they announced in the budget that they were releasing uh, another 13,000 packages Australia-wide over the next four years, which is 3,500 packages a year, and there's a waiting list of 105,000. Oh, <laughs> so, for heaven's sake. Yeah. Who did those figures? Yes. Yeah, so. God. So, look, that's that's a, an ongoing story we're hearing a lot of. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of people who are in dire circumstances who have been assessed for a level four package, which is the high level package, are finding themselves having to go into care because they can't they can't wait any longer. Mm. For, so, clearly, um, once again, this you are at the hands of the government in terms of releasing of packages. Um, if you remember, in February 2017, they changed the system where yeah. prior to that, providers were the ones who, who had the packages and let them out to clients. Oh, okay. And they turned the whole thing on its head and, and they now give the packages to the clients and then they go and find the provider of their choice. Mm. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's called consumer care. There's nothing wrong with the concept. But what is the problem is there's just a mismatch between the amount of packages that are out there and the amount of people who need them. It's, mm. There's, as I say, 105,000 yeah. people. Um, and of that 105,000 people, there are a lot of people who are, who are on packages but are very low package and need a high package. So when you talk to, when you guys talk to, you know, the powers that be in government yep. and, and you quote those figures, like what is their reaction? Like why is such a deficit between how many packages are available and how many people, you know, is it not supposed to be a service for the people? It's Treasury. That need them? It's, 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 it's all about taxation and Treasury and the spending of funds. So it comes and, look, and, and we all understand that all of us have budgets and all of us have to live within our means. Yeah, but we're talking about people suffering in well, need, people yes, in need. Yes, we are. Um, I mean, I, 
just today that was announced um, the Senate are having an inquiry into the aged care sector uh, being pushed by the Nurses Federation mm-hmm. with regards of um, minimum um, standards of nurses on on duty mm-hmm. um, and and their invest and the Senate's brief is to investigate the rotting of the the private sector and taxation all that sort of stuff so they are thinking to myself and Stuart and I have talked about we're long overdue for an inquiry into aged care. This is a good thing. This Senate yeah. thing, I think, yeah. will give us as an industry the opportunity of laying our cards on the table because we just hear the bad news stories. We mm. don't actually know what's yeah. behind it. Yeah. So it's good to have a Senate inquiry. Those those inquiries are very robust normally. They are, yes. And they ask the hard questions. Mm-hmm. You've seen as we've seen in the financial. Yes, they're asking. Yeah, they are. And so I think it's a good thing to have an inquiry because there's a lot of once again misinformation being peddled by lots of people who have their own agendas. Mm. Um, clearly, in my view, there's a need for um, a complete review of how aged care is funded. Um, and I'm not talking about retirement living. I'm talking about home care and yes. mm-hmm. and, re- yeah. and aged care in nursing homes, as we call them. So um, there's just not enough money in the system to look after our older people. And the review's got to be how, do, how on earth do we deal with it moving forward? And there's no doubt the government's, um, and I'm not talking politics here, I'm talking Liberal and Labor, both both parties recognise that we have a problem mm. um, and it's going to become a user pay system and we've got to be, be fair and equitable how that works in, in the user pay space. Mm. So at the moment a lot of people are asset rich, they have their money locked up in their yes. homes. Yes. How do they release that now? The government have brought out the pension loan scheme and that's, that's a good thing, mm-hmm. I think. It's a reverse mortgage, for want of a better name, and I don't, I'm not a fan of reverse mortgages. No. But there are some circumstances where it's, it's appropriate. It's, it's mm. appropriate. If you don't have a choice. Well, you do have a choice. You yeah. Don't, you don't have to do it. Yeah, I know. Um, but if you don't have any other options. Yes, well, there are other options it, it, that people are loath to do. And a very good option, um, I'll put on my retirement living hat at the moment, a very good option for a lot of people living in the homes which they own mm. is to downsize. Mm and to downsize into a retirement village. And in our retirement village, we, we have... That's a great option there to downsize because you release capital. Mostly units are cheaper in a retirement village. You then have nurses on call. You have people like our flexi people. You're in a community of caring people. So you rather than going down the path of borrowing against your assets and then having compounding interest, mm. you could downsize, free up some cash to do the things you need to do mm-hmm. uh, and look after your loved ones that way. So it's a, it's a, it's a good planning tool mm. to... And I'm, I'm thinking the industry we're in, which used to be, Tom, a lifestyle product... Correct. ...is becoming a financial product. Absolutely. Where people are looking at not only the lifestyle that villages offer, but how can they fund yes, themselves... definitely. ...for the next 10 or 20 years. And we are moving on the front foot mm. to come up with um, flexible financial arrangements... Um, to meet this particular um, challenge. Mm. And as Pete says, it's going to become more of a user pays. Uh, the way that uh, pensions are being tinkered with, um, both asset and income, uh, that will continue. And it's, I, I mean, it's an em- it, I'm, I'm not particularly, it's an enviable position really 
um, for the government, to, and that's probably the wrong word actually, to, to be in the position they've got to balance all of these things because mm. as we've pointed out, there's not enough care packages. The need is very real. Who's going to pay for it? How are we going to pay for it? And I think getting a lot of this stuff out into the open um, is going to actually help us come up with the solutions. Mm-hmm. And I think the industry has the solutions, Peter, don't do. you? And I think that this, uh, these particular com- commissioning of inquiries will actually help us determine what those outcomes should be. But okay. I think my word of advice in this particular circumstance is yeah. if because they haven't, they've been assessed for Level 4 but don't have it, mm-hmm. one would hope that they've also been assessed for respite in a residential yes. care facility. So yes. may- maybe as a short-term gap, go into resp- respite, respite for two or three weeks. Yes, We yes. do find when, when people in that circumstance do that, they recharge their batteries, they get thoroughly spoiled, mm. they get medication properly managed, uh, laundry, showering, a good lifestyle, mm-hmm. socialisation, and then come home again and maybe do that over, a, over yeah. the next 12 months until they actually get offered a package. Yes. And then, of course, we can introduce the package into the home mm-hmm. and everyone's happy. So they haven't moved into residential care. Yes. They've just used the but option of respite. And got a taste. Well, really, it's yes, a taste. More importantly, the got the care. Yeah, and, that's right. And and what we do care. find when people do that, they, their spirits lift mm. and their physical well-being lifts as yes. well because they've been well cared for. Yeah. And the carer has two or three weeks off. Yeah, that's right. So the carer can then recharge their batteries. Yeah, exactly. So that when their partner comes home, they can mm. then take on that role of caring, which is, as we all know, is a twenty-four-seven role. Exactly. Mm. Our last question, um, which is a combination of two really, uh, is from Eleanor Smith and Pam from Cranbourne. And their question is around the ombudsman. And first of all, Eleanor saying, is there an ombudsman for the aged care sector? And we believe that there isn't. And then Pam's asking, can individual residents seek assistance from the ombudsman or does it have to be a collective complaint if they have, if they're in a village mm. and they have a complaint? Yeah, well, there, there, certainly there, there is not an ombudsman in the in the residential care sector. There's a government-funded uh, complaints mechanism, um, which is very robust, and it's and it can be anonymous. You can ring up and complain anonymously about just as an individual. As an individual, yes, okay. you don't need to, to. But ombudsmans, I mean, uh, in the in the total aged care space of residential care and retirement living. There's been an agenda for a little while by some groups to say we need an ombudsman. Mm. Um, and that came out last year with the Four Corners program. Mm. There was a, a fair bit of talk. Yes. And if you remember, Minister White was on, on our program, mm. Brendan, at the Village Baxter, mm. and th- that co- topic came up and he, he was of the view that, no, we do not need an ombudsman. Yes, he was. That's just another layer of cost mm. on and, government. And, and, Tom, you yeah. share that view as well, don't you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and why, what's your thinking on that? Well, this, anecdotally, yep. this is a perspective or a read from an industry perspective in Victoria. Um, the CAV, uh, Director Consumer of Consumer Affairs, Affairs yeah. has traditionally been the place where disputes resolution has been heard. Um, and it's, uh, as a gesture, the current, the current government has introduced what's called uh, the DSCV, the Dispute Settlement Centre of Victoria, which is um, some additional government funding to empower a division of the CAV to deal uh, with any complaints associated with our industry. And I think it's recognised that um, there uh, needs to be some more uh, robust administration, um, but um, the reason that they've reacted 
in such a, I think, a mild way is because they are actually seeing that CAV, the Director of um, Consumer Affairs Victoria, has capacity, might need some support, um, but it's commensurate with the amount of complaints. And I, I, I'm still, <laughs> for the amount of complaints and for the amount of uh, disputes that are not resolved, um, I don't see any need for an ombudsman. There's no anything like that. The other one is there is actually, a re in Victoria, a residence association, uh, an independent residence association that, that acts as advocates for yep. uh, residents that live in retirement villages. And it's certainly on their agenda to have an ombudsman. It certainly is. Yeah. But, but they're, rel they're part-time, they're relatively small-funded by government, and yeah. they don't deal with a lot of complaints. Yeah. And, and, mm -hmm. and if, look, if there was some serious issues within the industry on a broad term, yes, absolutely bring in whatever government regulation you need, but it's actually not there. And I think um, we're un just unfortunate, as Pete alluded to earlier on, the bad news story is what tends to get the yes. play, but yep. that's relatively few and far between yeah. when you're taking mm. the overall uh, mm. industry. And so that's Australia wide. That's every, Australia -wide. every state yeah. has a legislation, Retirement Villages Act, and within mm -hmm. all those acts, there's a very robust dispute resolution regime. Mm -hmm. um, and some are managed by Consumer Affairs, Fair Trade, and New South Wales. We, we, we've even got our own internally in the village. You've got to remember, we manage communities. Oh, Pete, how big's yours? Thousand people. Mm. You know, mine are three hundred people. You, you've got to have a mechanism of dispute resolution. If you can't resolve it there, mm. then you've got some serious management issues, well, or you've got what, serious issues in the village. That's what I think. Mm. What sounds like's happening with this person? Yeah. yeah. You know that there's obviously something not right in the village. Well, she has recourse. She, she, the village should have articulated within their rules, um, which they would have been aware of when they signed their agreements, mm. a dispute resolution. If she's got no satisfaction there, she can go, or uh, it's Gwen, is it? Is it uh, this name? is Pam from Cranbourne. Pam. Yeah. Mm. She has the ability to go and um, meet the, re the uh, and I'll give you the details of the contact for this independent residence association mm -hmm. uh, committee that's able to handle that. Or she can go direct to Consumer Affairs. There is a body there that can handle that. Okay. And, on, and on the back of that, Tom, um, our, our peak body being the Retirement Living Council are about to release the draft Code of Conduct. Oh, Australia-wide yeah, for industry. That is coming, isn't it? Yes. Part of the Code of Conduct is a whole chapters on dispute resolution and setting up procedures of how it's dealt with. So okay. I'm thinking yeah. um, the Four Corners program, although it was... It didn't paint us in a good light. Um, there's a silver lining to that cloud. To, yes, And yeah. that silver lining is that uh, we've all set up and taken notice that although most of us believe we're doing the right thing, we just need to have um, more procedures in place and the yeah. Code of Conduct, is, mm -hmm. and that came from, once again, Wyatt, who's, who advised mm -hmm. us as an industry that we needed the Code of Conduct. He gave us a heads-up how to do it. It's taken too long to do, but having said that, the Code of Conduct that we're about to release... Is A triple C sanctioned? So it's, it's yes. more than just a piece of paper yes. with a few yeah. words on it. Yeah. It's, it's a very robust document mm -hmm. that's coming out, I, I believe, in June for public comment mm -hmm. to be adopted on the 1st of January next year, okay. Australia wide. But, and but then, you and, would. And if you don't sign the Code of Conduct, you can't be a member okay. of the peak body. Oh, okay. and, and there are some measures within that to, if something goes wrong and people have clearly 
digress from the code of conduct mm -hmm. that there is some ramifications for their businesses. Okay, but yeah. you two would collectively agree that you you don't require an ombudsman in your well. I've yet industry? I've yet to see the evidence that, that it, it is needed. That it's effective, and and I worry that it's it's just another thing to be funded by government. Okay, uh, I'd um, rather I'd rather industries look after their own problems. Mm. Yeah, look, the only reason that you get government intervention in a regulatory environment like this is if the industry um, uh, doesn't function properly. And, mm. uh, and I think this industry, out of all of them, you've only got to listen to the guys here. Uh, there is a genuine empathy, genuine care. Our whole business is about looking after people. And if you don't have that, then, um, then you shouldn't be in the business. But yeah. because the majority of the participants in our industry that is the base from which they come from, particularly the not-for-profits. Not for they mostly come out of church-based or community-based organisations. Then um, that's why the industry is quite healthy because it is genuinely caring and looking after people. Yes, there's always continuous improvement, but I don't think it needs to be uh, the hard whipping hand of an ombudsman and the cost to the taxpayer mm. uh, to do that uh, mm -hmm. because the thing is is functioning quite good. It's not broke. However, we acknowledge that there are some things that need to be tidy up from time mm -hmm. to time. Okay, thank you. Thank you, good. guys. Okay, thank you very much indeed, Peter Nielsen and Tom Camp. Um, Peter, just quickly, the week ahead, big week for you. Just quickly before we wrap it up and move on to our next segment. Yes, it's a big week. Give me the headlines. Are you going to going to give us any headlines? Or? No, I'm not. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. No, well, no headlines at all. Good. Tom, we... I've got my new shirt on. Got well, I was going to say, <laughs> the headlines today yeah. is that Peter Nielsen is wearing his new village. Corporate colours. Corporate colours. Yes. It's a beautiful rose. Is it a rose, Peter? It is a rose. It is a rose. Mm. The village and, and green a rose. And, and a rear hip pocket. And a rear rose. hip pocket is one as well. We were going to say, you show me yours, I'll show you mine. <laughs> but we, we thought that the radio with pictures wouldn't and really work. And very quickly, before we wrap it up, Tom, we haven't seen you for a while. You're travelling well, Encore Living going well. Yeah, that, really um, good. Yeah, that regional alternative. Yeah, just just really busy. I've got to go to Europe again next week, so um, and I'll do some dates with you, Paula. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, look, there's some good things happening in my world. Encore Living is going extremely well. And so people are looking for that regional alternative, you think, hey? Just oh, absolutely. In, in well, words. we're actually economic, um, and we offer. Well, we we are part of. I think what um, we've been espousing here a bit of a leading edge in financial arrangements, which make. Uh, purpose-built accommodation affordable to people. And uh, so we can do that as well as operate and function within the traditional lines of a Retirement Village, Retirement Village Act. Mm -hmm. Marvellous. Mm -hmm. Gentlemen, thank you very much indeed yes, for your time today. You. It's always a pleasure to see you. Thank you so much indeed. You are listening to The Age Stage. This is RPPFM across the Mornington Peninsula and well and truly beyond. And welcome back to The Age Stage. And we have a very special guest uh, now with us, Brendan, Bob Semple. Bob is a, one of the rats of Tobruk. So welcome, Bob. Welcome to all at the, the new station for me. <laughs> well, well, Bob, congratulations as well. You are also the president of the Rats of Trabook Association as well, are you not? Yes, correct. Marvellous. Um, so how are you travelling? And tell us a little bit about the association, if you would, Bob, because you're yes. talking to people that are very interested about you mm -hmm. and what you've contributed to this country. Well, thank you. Uh, I am president, yes, at the moment, i.e., <laughs> The organisation itself took its formation after World War Two, and, and uh, lots of the uh, returning people were wandering about the place like uh, uh, lost sheep, mm -hmm. uh, happy to face up to a, a 
new life back in uh, Sibby Street again and uh, uh, we got ourselves a hall down at uh, Albert Park and uh, were able to develop it uh, into a style of place where uh, almost like nomads could meet and feel comfortable because it's a most of us had to learn to uh, get to know our families again after being away in, in a number of cases. My own case, I was away for five years, really, mm. uh, into other parts of the world and uh, uh, parts of the Middle East. Uh, and it was uh, an opportunity to share the values that you got to and trust and mateship that built up over that period of time. And it was coming back into a foreign world sort of Yes, must have been very difficult, Bob, um, to come back with. And there wouldn't have been the support in those days that there there is now, would there? Uh, not really, because I, we were so disorganised in many places. But I think uh, most of our uh, families who were endeavouring to uh, give us some sort of balance again mm. and learning to to the things that we used to do and get to know them again. In my case, I had three sisters and the two youngest of them, and I had to get to know them again. Yes, you know? yes, it must have been so difficult to come back into normal, so-called normal life yes. after after five years, you know. Well, you, when you're living in holes in the ground like, uh, you know, animals do and yes. that sort of thing, you, mm. you accept that and learn to live with it. But... Uh, uh, seven days of the week and uh, uh, the rest of the year in some cases you're in these sort of situations with no change and uh, mm. uh, no scenery, new scenery. Bob, Bob, can I ask what you were doing before you did uh, get involved with the rats? <laughs> yes, well, uh, of course I, I, was, uh, I had started work as a young man. I started work in Flinders Lane where I wanted to start in the rag trade sort of business mm -hmm. with one of the big warehouses. It was uh, in those days a sort of a career that you, you dealt with all sorts of uh, merchandise and the opportunities were fairly wide either into the uh, accountancy side of the business or the marketing side or the manufacturing side and it was a career that I'd uh, been fortunate enough to secure a job. And uh, I was a, had begun work at 16 and was in the militia, of course, in those days. Uh, went from the Cubs and Scouts into the militia. Uh, it was a peacetime army and uh, as a cadet for two years, from 16 to 18. And when you were turned 18, you went into the battalion. And mm. then when I was there, I was... Uh, uh, the war started, of course, but, on but, the 3rd of September 1939. So. But, but, Bob, finding yourself in the militia here in Australia is what, a pubescent schoolboy, and then throwing yourself into one of the greatest mm. armed divisions of the German army in North Africa, that's right. um, that's uh, quite a leap. It was a shock to the system, but mm. uh, whilst you, you like all things, you try and gain as much product knowledge as you can, it intensifies, of course, when we'd entered into a situation of a war. understand that because out of those uh, experienced personnel 
uh, they built the civilians around it to make up the numbers to form formations. And uh, uh, it got by my stage where they they wouldn't take... Uh, I hadn't been accepted, so uh, I, together with some of my mates, just decided to disappear and go out to Caulfield Racecourse uh, mm. with... Uh, the people coming out into the ground like a football match to join the army. Good. For overseas service, you had to re-enlist, you see, yes. for overseas yeah. service. You, you, you wouldn't have known much about Rommel in those days, would you? Uh, no, I, I did not. I, but I very quickly learned to appreciate yes. and have subsequently followed, even down into these days, I pick up uh, uh, any literature I can find on Rommel and... Uh, he was a like individual, similar to what uh, Montgomery turned out to be for us in the Western Desert, uh, mm. a leader from the front. And uh, uh, he he was a very intelligent person, a very good leader, and he was uh, a soldier's general. He 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 led from the front, in other words. A little yes. bit like Monash in the First World War. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and, and your leadership, did you have uh, a lot of faith in them as well at the time? Sorry, in the Middle East, you were happy with your leadership and your oh, generalship. We, I, I was seconded to the Ninth Australian Division, uh, which uh, spent uh, a lot of time. Uh, we had three Christmases in the Middle East and uh, were heavily engaged, and uh, we had one of the best leaders, I think, a similar man to Moise. Moorshead was his name. Uh, he was affectionately known to us as Ali Barber and his 20,000 thieves <laughs> and uh, also as being the merciless mm. because uh, he was a young officer in the World War One and had distinguished himself in that career and he was an astute businessman as well in between times. Did he get the best out of you, Bob, or was it what you gave him as a core, as a group that allowed him to do what he did with you and make the stand that you did against the Germans? Well, first of all, I, I, I think you learn, you learn gradually, especially when you go into action. All, all the book training is very helpful, and the product knowledge is uh, you're foolish if you don't try and acquire as much as you can. You, you can. Uh, I personally was fairly young. I went into an artillery unit, as a conduit to that, and stayed with it for the rest of the war, right through till uh, into the islands, and uh, right through to the finish of the Japanese. But uh, uh, you soon learn to gauge by your own animal cunning and, your, and your, your, the persons around you that you've got to lean on your mates and you've got to observe what happens. Mm. And, and uh, I was fortunate enough to have a, a number of country boys that were uh, exceptionally good. They were younger; than, uh, I was younger than them in most cases, but I soon learned to respect them. And, uh, and that mateship follows right through to the to the top uh, uh, person. Yes, and he he displayed without any doubt whatsoever brilliance as an officer and a leader. And he came round to our positions in action on a number of occasions and sat down and uh, in the same condition as you were in and would talk to you person to person. And, uh, we that, that would mean a lot, I would think. Respect is a wonderful yes. thing. Yeah. And uh, 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 you, the vibes go out between all of us, I think. Mm. Uh, 
Mm. You've got to make decisions at time whether you have respect or not in any case. Exactly. You've got to sway with the punches and do what you're told. Yes, yeah, think on your feet. So, Bob, what would be one of the strongest memories of your time in the Middle East, would you say? Well, uh, if you can establish the platform with your mates around you, that is terribly important because... Conditions change so much from day to day, uh, but you've got to trust one another and you get to know the most inner inner secrets of people and persons. Mm. When you look out into the wilderness, you can't just pack up and say, I'm going to go for a walk or something like that. It's not quite the same. Yes. But in action, uh, you, you... lean very heavily on that and it becomes uh, the password for everything you do mm. there's friendship mateship uh, I, I keep saying that but uh, uh, you understand one another better than probably your own family yes yes and that that comes through in you know times like anzac day and and remembrance true. day and things like that doesn't it yes, yes. true yeah mm. Well, thank you, Bob, for speaking with us today. It's been really interesting and, um, you know, quite amazing. It's, it's. I just had a wonderful experience, if I may, related to yes. you. I was invited by uh, Dr. Uh, Brendan Nelson and uh, he, uh, I've been up to Canberra for <coughs> Anzac Day. I was invited to go up there uh, on their, for their parade and so forth and do an address and... Uh, it was an interesting experience and uh, it allowed me to reflect on some of the items that were in the War Museum and these sort of places and, and meet uh, the likes of several people, like the Kim Beasley and, mm. uh, and Kerry Stokes and these sort of people. And it was uh, an eye-opener, but uh, uh, it's, it also comforted me to know that they're doing their best to keep the tradition and... Uh, the memory of Anzac going. Yes. Wonderful, absolutely. Bob. How many how many years young are you these days, if I may? Uh, I, I, uh, on the 4th of May, which is about, about a week back, I turned 98. Oh, goodness. Congratulations. Well, Bob, you sound yeah. in fine health, and you thank do. you very much indeed for taking some time to talk to us here on the Age Stage. You're a it, great example, and we once again thank you so much for what you and your mates did those years back, because... Without you, I doubt if we'd be having this conversation here today. We've got a wonderful country and let us guide guide it along the best ways possible. Yes. Bob Semple, thank you very much indeed. Thanks, Bob. President of the Rats of Tobruk Association speaking with us on RPPFM today. We thank him very much indeed. This is RPPFM. It is indeed, and thank you very much indeed for your company. This is The Age Stage coming to you from studios right here in Mornington. Great to have your company. I'm Brendan Telfer, and the host of The Age Stage is Paula Dunn. Thank you, Brendan. And uh, we're going to speak to Eliza um, Middleton. Littleton. Littleton, yes. Um, and Eliza is uh, from the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association. Welcome, Eliza. Thank you so much. So, Eliza, tell us about what you do with this association. Um, I am a, uh, yeah, the senior policy officer here, so we do um, mostly systemic advocacy on behalf of pensioners um, and low-income retirees. So um, we do a little bit of uh, uh, individual advocacy. We have branches and members um, 
who call and we, you know, provide a, a referral and information service. But mm-hmm. mostly we write submissions um, and lobby the government um, okay. to protect the living standards of, of older people. Okay. So- low, low income retirees. Sorry, Paula, just mm-hmm. to interrupt. So I guess these are the people with less options in terms of, of what they can do in their, in their final years or later years. Eliza, um, how are they traveling, especially in view of the recent budget? Um, yeah, so uh, it depends kind of what age group you're talking about. So, you know, we were quite um, concerned that the government didn't or well, ignored calls to raise the, the new start allowance, which currently sits at about $40 a day. Um, and there are actually a lot of older people that rely on um, new start, um, you know, say, uh, bef- up until they reach the age of 65. So, you know, anywhere between 50 and 65, they can end up being on the on New Start for quite a long period of time. Um, and it's definitely not enough money to, to kind of live in and to be able to provide opportunities for people. Yep, so uh, they're faring not, not so well and um, it's definitely disappointing that the government didn't respond to, um, you know, all the media attention around the inadequacy of, of New Start. Um, in terms of pensioners, there was a measure in the, in the budget um, that was supposed to kind of free up some some cash um, and help with the cost of living. Um, so the pension loan scheme, uh, the, the government, that's a, it's a scheme that's been around for quite a while, but um, the government kind of expanded the scheme and opened it up to full pensioners and um, self-managed, oh, sorry, self-funded retirees as well. So tell us, how does that work, um, Eliza? Yeah, so it's essentially a government-funded reverse mortgage scheme. Okay. Yeah, so it allows people to borrow like um, a fortnightly income from the government using their home as security. Mm. <clears throat> um, so it's like a commercial um, reverse mortgage scheme, but it's um, a cheaper, it's a better interest rate Um but the interest rate is compounded, so the mm. idea is that you it's it's not a lump sum that you receive, it's an income stream, mm-hmm. um, and there's no um, repayments on the loan, but um, you basically, once the, the house is sold, the, pre, the proceeds um, go to paying off the loan, and yes. because the interest is compounded, you're paying interest on interest, so the longer you leave it, um, the, the kind of the value of the home gets eaten up in the process, but you know, for some pensioners, it will allow for um, them to free up a bit of cash uh, mm. and and substitute the the or supplement the income that they receive through the age mm. pension. Mm. But I could see how that would you know some of them could get themselves into <laughs> trouble with that as well. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, we haven't heard much about, you know, say the parameters they're going to be putting. There might be a cap on, say, how much um, of the value of the home that you can, um, mm. you know, use the mortgage, uh, sorry, receive the loan for. But, you know, um, it really depends on the value of the home uh, and how much, how, for how long you, you use this kind of pension loan scheme. Mm. So, Yes. Yeah. So um, what do you see are the greatest needs for funding in the ageing arena? So what, what are your views on that? Yeah, um, I'd say one of the more disappointing measures in the budget was around aged care. So, mm-hmm. you know, there was, you know, aged care was supposed to be a real, a big winner in the budget, um, but it really didn't live up to that hype. Uh, at, at currently... Um, so the home care packages, that's one aspect of, of um, aged care. It's 
one way that, um, and and it's becoming the more dominant way that people, older people, access aged care. So these are um, alloc- they're, they're funding packages uh, mm. that are allocated by the government to people, to consumers, to per- go out and purchase home care services. So are these these are services and that um you know help with kind of day to day tasks like cooking and cleaning, showering, uh, shopping, garden maintenance, those types of things. Yes. Um, but basically uh, the, the waiting list for home care um, is, well, in December last year it was 104,000 people long, so that's quite long, and we were hoping that um, the government would announce a, a significant increase to funding um home care packages and, you know, kind of meet the demand. Yeah. Um, But they only released uh, 14,000 home care packages and that's over the next four years. Yes. So so that's 90,000 who are still waiting for some sort of resolution in this matter then, Eliza. How are those numbers reconciled? Yeah, exactly. That's a great question. Um, Currently, one of the interim measures is that they've, given some of these people who need higher level packages, which are just worth more money um, because that person has more complex needs. So they've allocated some interim packages, which are lower level packages, to some of the people on the waiting list. Um, But it's really not good enough. And particularly because the average waiting time on the home care package waiting list is 12 months. Goodness. So, so, so what actually happens to the people who really need it, mm. and but but can't afford it? Well, it's a it's a really tragic story. They they're forced to either make this decision where they you know um, have to rely on informal carers or forced to go into residential aged care because they aren't able to you know meet their basic needs at home. So you know these are people who are potentially not showering or not eating properly Goodness. or not being That's able to tragic. access you know mm. um, any number of like things that we all take for granted. Well, so. this, this is a, a sort of a national travesty, really, if it's mm. happening in a country like Australia, is it not, Eliza? Is this a bipartisan issue? Are we seeing both sides of politics getting their hands into this situation, or are we seeing things ha- breaking down each, each political line, each pol- political side? Um, so... Uh, it's not It's not bipartisan. The, the Labour Party has... Um, these, sorry, these reforms where home packages have become a substantial part of how we deliver home care um, started at the beginning of last year. So this is definitely ha- happening under the, the Liberal Party's watch, although it was initially a Labor policy. So um, the funding really just isn't enough, um, and the Labor Party has come out saying, um, criticising the government um, and saying that they would allocate more funds to home care. Um, if elected. So, but, but not necessarily more packages. Yeah, so mm. it really is, yeah, the devil's in the details with this. Um, mm. They're not particularly being clear on what it is they would, or mm-hmm. quantifying what it is that they would dedicate to home care packages and, um, you know, meeting the demand. Mm. So meantime, we all go on and, yes. and work till we're 70, 75, yeah. 80. Eliza, what's the plan, do you think? Yeah, well, the, in the budget, uh, the government <laughs> def, uh, didn't, didn't disclose um, uh, whether they're sticking to that policy, um, but you know historically it has been the Liberal Party's policy to um, uh, 
move the age pension eligibility age up to 70. So, um, you know, we're, we have no reason to suspect that they're dropping those plans at this point, which is really horrifying because, yeah. uh, you know, there definitely aren't as many jobs as there are people looking for jobs. Mm. Um, and older people, you know, obviously have a whole range of um, kind of specific um, problems when it comes to working into older age, depending on what kind of industry you work in. There are definitely physical and mental restraints for some people. Yes. Um, and it's, yeah, just an incredibly unrealistic expectation to assume that everyone can do that. Compounded by some discrimination in the workforce against older workers as well. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. We definitely hear from people who are really struggling because, um, you know, their people make it, uh, employers may make assumptions about what they're capable of, particularly mm. when it comes to things like technology. Yes. We've, we've only right. got a couple of minutes left, Eliza, before, mm. unfortunately, we have to go. We could probably talk to you all day, and we would love to. We'd probably call you back onto the program. But basically, the equation is this. There are many, uh, the increasing pension of population, and uh, the money is dwindling to look after them. Is that mm. basically it? Yeah, that's absolutely it. And um, unfortunately, yeah, this year's budget was a bit of a dud. Oh, wow. wow. Gosh, so we, re we would we redress that by speaking to the Treasurer or we change the government. Uh, but then again, we're not very clear whether the Labor Party has much more to give in this area either yet because, as you say, it's a little undefined. Mm, Playing exactly. politics with people's lives, really. Yeah. Mm. Eliza, meantime, of course, you lobby, you campaign on our behalf and you try and get us the best possible deal. So go, Eliza. <laughs> Give them a hiding for us, would you? Will do, will do. Thank you, Eliza. No worries at all. Thank Bye. You, thank you very much indeed. And Eliza Littleton there was uh, speaking to us um, from the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association. So, uh, bit scary, isn't it, Brendan? Not a healthy mm. outlook at this mm. stage. And I mean, she was quite categoric, was mm. she not? And she was. Uh, perhaps it's a discussion that we might have with the more politically mindful guests that we'll invite back next week. Yes, exactly. Cool. Um, it's unbelievable to think that uh, once again, uh, here we are at the end of another program. Yes, we are. And we'd like to thank our guests, Bob Semple, from President of the Rats of Tobruk Association, and Eliza uh, Littleton from the Combined Pensioners and Superannuates Association. Indeed. Paula, thank you very much indeed for your time Thank today. you, Brendan. See you next time. Indeed. Thank you very much indeed. And thank you for your company. By the way, if you do want to get in touch with us here at RWPFM, 5975 1234, be like our callers. Just let us know what uh, is on your mind, and we're more than happy to take it up with our special guest, resident guests. Until next time, I'm Brendan Toff on behalf of Paula Dunn and all of us here at RWPFM. Have a great week. See you next Thursday. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.